Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a new podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and here with me to discuss the latest sorties in the battle for number 10 is my colleague, Caitlin Doherty, as well as two Conservative MPs who are backing the rival candidates in the party's leadership contest. The MP for North West Durham, Richard Holden, who is a supporter of the former Chancellor Rishi Sunak, and the Elmer and Rothwell MP, Alex Shelbrook, who is backing Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. So as we speak, it's Thursday morning, we're past the kind of the latest round of TV head-to-head debates. We're on to the, the next stage of the contest, which is the leadership hustings for Conservative members. The first one tonight is going to be in Leeds, where Alex is speaking to us from. Um, kind of, Caitlin, where, where are we this week? We've moved on a bit from the initial stuff around taxation and the economy and, and moved on to some various other policies by the two candidates. Mm, we've had a bit more detail on a number of policies this week. This morning, uh, Rishi Sunak has announced that he would like to protect the Green Belt a little bit more from house building. We've had pledges from both candidates on policies to tackle violence against women and girls. And we also had a commitment from Liz Trust overnight in a number of newspapers in the north of the country about Northern Powerhouse Rail, which mm. is a policy that was somewhat watered down in the integrated rail plan, which was released at the back end of last year. Mm. Alec, obviously, yeah, the Northern Powerhouse Rail, obviously you're speaking to us from, from Leeds. How do you think that's going to go down, do you think, with the voters up there? Well, I think it's really important, Alan. It was a bad piece of PR by the government when the HS2 2B phase was cancelled because it was leading on that thinking that was the popular thing. All people heard then was that investment to the north had been cut when actually what had happened was exactly what people had been asking for was that the money was being spent east to west rather than on HS2. And once people started to realise that, they were far more supportive. And I think that that in itself emphasises the absolute importance of um, investment in rail in the north. And of course, what we've um, seen today is the backing of um, Jake Berry, who chairs the Northern Research Group. Mm, yeah, it's quite a sort of interesting endorsement. Um, but Richard, what, what's kind of Rishi Sunak's plan for Northern Powerhouse Rail? Obviously, he was in the Treasury for a while when a lot of these plans were, as Ketlin says, sort of watered down. You know, what's his view on, on what should go ahead in terms of rail infrastructure in the north. I think we're going to have to wait for the full rail review on the smaller services. We have the big one on the massive national infrastructure around HS2. But I think what's really important is that we need to look at the two big things which are happening for constituents now in my constituency. It's all very well to talk about things which are going to happen in many, many, many years down the line. But what they really want to see and what they're really concerned by is this issue around cost of living. And that's the thing which is worrying them most. And I think Rishi's sensible plans in that direction to try and get uh, bills down, but also to tackle inflation so it doesn't become uh, systemic is, is the real issue, which is actually, uh, you know, I have spoke to so many of my constituents over the last few days who are really worried, but they've seen the, starting to see these interest rates rising, seeing those them rising even quicker over mm. in America now. And whether they're small businesses or whether they're homeowners, uh, that's what they're really concerned by, those, those things which will affect jobs and their daily lives. Mm. Essentially, you talk about the cost of living stuff. We saw the energy price cap is going to go up to about £3,800 and energy costs in January alone might be £500 for a household. Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, was suggesting that both candidates' pledges have not really gone far enough. You know, what is Sunak pledging to try and prevent this this coming storm this winter? That is the pressure I'm talking about that people are feeling in constituencies like mine in northwest Durham. And the big the thing that Rishi's always done, so in the pandemic he's probably stepped up with the furlough schemes, the grant schemes, the loans for businesses, and and then more recently, we've really stepped up with up to £1,200 of support. But you're absolutely right that 
now it looks like that's becoming baked into the system mm. and could even go higher, which yeah, is yeah. the real concern for people. So that's why Rishi's already said that as soon as uh, bills now hit £3,000, we'll, we'll do the VAT cut on them. But that's no, you know, at every stage, he said he will always be there to support people. And he's got a track record of that. I think we're going to have to, if we're, we're, these are forecasts at the moment, but we're going to have to keep them under review because, and, and any policies to support families under review because these costs are just so exceptional. But what we cannot see is these costs allied to higher interest rates which would be the real killer for families if they're already paying higher on their energy you know imagine if they were paying you know the average person in my constituency with a 125,000 mortgage if they had to pay another 500 pounds a month on their um, mortgage you know if interest rates up to went up to say six or seven percent that would absolutely tip them over the edge mm. but just on that you mentioned Sunak's policy that he announced this week about cutting the those energy bills, you know, if it was such a good idea, why was it not announced at the start of the campaign? And it's allowed supporters of Liz Trust to accuse him of a U-turn on that policy. Well, I think the truth is that you, what you wanted to see is how these, how firm these figures are going to be in the future, because we nobody know, knew how long the war in Ukraine was going to last and that sort of thing. Also, the earlier policies which have been announced, £400 for every household, 150 for every band A to D, £300 for every pensioner household, up to 650 for every household, those 8 million lowest paid households, mm. which are 12,000 of those in my constituency. Those are all big packages of support, which at the time were much, much more than any possibility which was talked about at the time, maybe of doing something around VAT. Now the prices are so much higher, and you're looking at multiples of mm. where they were earlier. This means a lot more money for people. So I think that's the reason we've looked at doing this. But it's something that's been in discussions for quite a while, mm. and just how best to target it. But as you say, the this issue of energy prices and the fact that it had looked like maybe gas was coming off the top but it's definitely not with the Ukraine situation uh, there had been hope perhaps of some deal with Biden and the Saudis last month that doesn't look like it's come through so those prices are still staying stubbornly high so that's why Rishi has decided to announce another measure of cost of living. Uh, Alec what, what's uh, Liz Truss's plan to try and bring down these these problems in the winter? Well, again, of course, we're just in that situation of assessing further measures. I mean, first of all, we'd be well aware of Liz talking about um, the removal of temporarily of the green tariffs and the reduction in um, national insurance and, and VAT, more money in the pockets, more money off energy bills. But as Martin Lewis was saying this morning, we are in a situation now where all of that is almost just tinkering at the edges. We have to face stark reality. Interest rates are going to keep going up. There is no way that they can um, stay down. And there's a knock-on effect that we can't escape. The Americans have just put interest rates up a further 0.75% yesterday. That means that in the period of time, we've gone up a quarter of a percent they've gone up one and a half percent, making the dollar a more valuable currency, making the pound a weaker currency. You'll see less dollars to the pound. We buy energy in dollars, therefore you get the knock-on effect. So there's no simple solution to this. And it may be that we have to suddenly get really radical. Now, I wouldn't want to suggest that this is um, a policy of Liz Truss. I wouldn't want to suggest it was a policy of Rishi Sunak. But there are countries in Europe, Lithuania as an example, who buy in their gas wholesale by the government then the um, companies sell it out. So that's a similar model to what we're doing with the um, railways. And it may just be that we get to the point where the government has to say, we will buy in the gas wholesale, the companies will sell it out, but it's not going above the price cap that currently exists. And the government will have to subsidise that cost. Because here's the point, 
if you are going to keep having to cope with these increases in costs and the way they're going up, you can only do that by taking money out of the economy. So despite the fact you would almost certainly have to borrow the money to um, be able to subsidise the gas price coming through, you would have to balance up the fact that you would be losing that income through much, much reduced tax receipts as people aren't paying VAT, people have to be let go in um, entertainment industry, that's national insurance, that's income tax, that's putting people onto welfare and of course business taxes being reduced as well. So this is a highly complex situation and most of the arguments that have been made are being made around the post-Cold War peace dividend consensus which is gone. It's completely gone. In fact, the situation of the last 50 years is gone. We have to wake up and realise that that means absolutely radical plans. And as I say, I'm not speaking on behalf of Liz. This is a policy she's putting forward. But I think I'm just trying to emphasise the fact that it's almost tear everything up, start again and go for radical thinking. This is obviously such a quickly developing situation. A lot of the time when politicians are campaigning for office, they're talking about policies that you may see enacted three months, six months, 12 months down the line. How do you think the fact that this situation is changing so quickly and we may well be in a different situation come September and October with more interventions needed? How do you think that is playing out in the contest as we speak? Well, I mean, just speaking on behalf of Liz, she's already made it clear that there would be an emergency budget within September. So um, that is something that she's um, already announced. She'll come in with an emergency budget and those things um, will have to be addressed. I share what Martin Lewis said this morning because I'm seeing it on the doorstep. I mean, I've been on the doorstep decades and you always get people moaning at you on the doorstep. You may have, for example, if you go back to last year when the triple lock was cancelled and took the earnings section out because it was an overly inflated price, there was a lot of people complained about, you know, you always hit the pensioners, blah, blah, blah. That's politics. What I've been seeing on the doorstep for the last six months is fear absolute fear in people's eyes they are terrified as to what is coming down the line they don't know how they're going to pay it to be honest i'm not sure how in my family we're going to pay it if it carries on going up this way but i know how we're paying for it now we're taking money out of the economy for paying for exactly what we already had my mortgage um, deal comes to an end this year i've managed to renew luckily it's only gone up 0.5 percent on what i was paying um, previously and i fixed it for 10 years that's still another 130 pounds a month out of our income then with the energy bills etc so i can afford these things everybody knows mps and good salaries but i'm doing it by taking money out of the economy and therefore liz talking about having a budget early on because the whole situation in terms of what has been the consensus certainly for the last 20 years but probably for the last 40, 50 years, it's gone. And that's what has to be accepted. We're in a different world. Richard, would, would Rishi Sunak want to have an emergency budget? He's obviously done a number of fiscal events already this year before he, he left the Treasury. You know, would he want to step in straight away on, if he took over on September the 5th? Well, he's already said that we'll have to legislate to change the VAT rules. So that's that's essentially in, in the same ballpark as, as what's being talked about. But I think Alec and I are quite in, a, in the same ballpark on some of this stuff. We are going to have radical thinking. I think you saw that actually in, in the debate before it was uh, cut short the other day. Both candidates said we're going to have to look at 
fracking. Mm. And I think there's we are looking we have to look in a very radical way at energy supply. I think it's been quite good to see the way that particularly places like Teesside with the uh, free ports that Rishi pushed earlier and now really moving into that offshore wind generation and we want to go much further on that and the price the actual price for that is gone through the floor compared to what it was 10 years ago. You know, you're looking at a fifth of the price for some of those things. But we're going to have to be quite radical on some of this and I think that in the short and medium term we are going to have to look at increasing domestic energy supply and some of that's going to have to come from carbon and uh, on the other side we have to really redouble our efforts in that electricity generation yeah. side of things because those those are medium term solutions um, you know they will take at least a couple of years to come in so we have to get those the policies in place to, to get that going we also have to support families through what is going to be an incredibly dif- difficult time and the things that Alex seeing on the doorstep are the things that I'm seeing on the doorstep in northwest Durham which is people are very very concerned about uh, rising prices rising inflation uh, rising interest rates and I think we've got to do everything we can although interest rates are steadily on the rise we have to do everything we can to keep them under control because if we get into an inflationary spiral with interest rates rising I had constituents coming up to me the other day and saying you know Richard the early 90s you know people you know we lost our home we don't want to be there again yeah and there's a real fear of that and then the broader impact that's going to have on on you know on people's feeling of how wealthy they are if house prices would naturally you know, fall significantly with very significant interest rate rises. And therefore, whoever takes, whoever wins, you know, has got to win an election in a couple of years. And if that feeling persists, it's going to be very difficult for, for any Tory leader to, to carry on winning an election. We're facing tough economic circumstances, but I think uh, what we need to do ahead of the next election, whoever wins actually, is we have to be uh, very straight with the British people about the challenges that we're facing because they are not straightforward. You know, we've got, we've got this extra £400 billion of COVID debt on top of other things uh, that we're facing and those all have to be tackled and we have to be very very honest with people because this is not going to be easy over the next uh, few years but we have different choices to make as to whether we can potentially make it harder and have a big gamble or we try and uh, steady the ship and keep things under control. It's interesting to hear both uh, mm. Richard and Alec broadly talking about the same sorts of ideas, sort of a bit of a consensus. The, the early part of this campaign has been really marked by a lot of blue-on-blue blue attacks and a lot of kind of rancour between the two candidates. We're now getting into a situation where they're not going to be head-to-head except for the one debate coming up. How important do you think the, to the contest has been this kind of criticism between the candidates? And do you think it's, you know, it's it's breaking apart the party, you know, the has got to put it back together again next month? I think, ultimately, when you're talking about the leadership election of a big political party in this country they are vying for the membership but ultimately as you just mentioned they are vying to win a general election whenever Mm. that might be whether it be in two years whether it be in four years whether it be in five years and I think this time around those sorts of attacks and it may be because it's around the period we've entered recess which is normally a slightly quieter political news period they are certainly the stories that have cut through with the general public the people who will be the voting public whenever we next have a general election so it's been interesting to see over the last few days people really call for those sorts of attacks and comments to subside and you know put it behind us we're moving into a different stage of the contest now and like you said it is a stage that you know there'll be fewer debates on television these yeah. hustings while they're open to members they're not going to be you know on prime time bbc television and no and they're not on stage like at the same time they're sort no. of one after another so they're not sort of, sort of attacking each other there's there's less opportunity for you know back and forth like the tennis matches that we've been having mm. um up to now so it, it will be interesting to see going forward whether that is something that sort of remains as an early part of the contest or whether it's something that continues on 
going yeah. forward. Yeah, and what have, how, what have you made of it? It's been pretty rough and tumble so far. You know, what, what have you kind of thought of, of what it's doing to, to your party you've been a part of for a long time? I mean, I think there's an important point that has to be made in all of this is that we're all Conservative MPs. Richard and I are Conservative MPs. We're good friends. We've worked together on lots of things. 99% of the manifesto we stood on and 99% of the way we want to head, we all agree on. What the problem we're into now is the economic situation caused by two fundamental things. One caused by the war, one caused by the pandemic. There was a lot of borrowing for the pandemic to get to do it. And I think where we're now getting situation is we're trying to sort out that borrowing now as if we're not in another unique crisis. And uh, this is where you start to get down to uh, the nitty gritty of the arguments, because Liz is saying, look, let's not rush to be paying off the debt, which is huge and isn't going to be paid off for 100 years, probably like it was with the First World War and the Second World War. These are the uniquenesses of the situation we're in. But of course, this is a situation which is affecting people directly on the doorstep and it's not going to go away. And You've got some excitable colleagues, let's say, who um, go out and say things. There's not a lot actually come from the camps. If you look at the camps themselves, there's not a lot come out from those. Yeah, well, there was a campaign uh, you know, spokesperson on Monday night suggesting that Richard Sunak was unfit for office, the way that he was talking over Liz Truss. I mean, that doesn't seem to be sort of dialing it down. Well, it's a reaction to what had happened on the night there and then. And um, I think it's noticeable in the talk TV debate that Rishi then didn't do that because I think there was a nasty backlash against that approach. I think what's said in the heat of the moment is one thing. I think is a different thing to some of the let's just say, Twitter comments that seem to be made by colleagues all over the place. I think at the end of the day, we're all well aware that whoever wins this contest will be leading us into the next general election. We're well aware of what the consequences are from our point of view of a Labour government. And there's many, many things that to this day we are still dealing with the results of the last Labour government and they left office 13 years ago. I'm talking about spending billions of pounds more on hospitals than it cost to build them and schools through PFI contracts. Still to this day, contracts within some of the governors I talk of in the schools, which are just ridiculously hard to get things done and go outside of the terms and conditions. I'm talking about GP contracts. I'm talking about where nurses were. I'm talking about what happened to private pensions. All these things to this day are still um, something that the Conservative government is trying to work out policies and get around. So I'm sure Richard absolutely agrees with me, and I'll be damned if I'll try and let a Labour government back into power. And I think that's why, <laughs> that despite all the arguments going on now, you will see the party reunited unite there we are still only halfway through this parliament and we still have a strong manifesto to deliver whilst dealing with these major unique world crises that have come our way i think alec and i are in a violent agreement on the a lot of that. We just think there's a, a different approach to now and who would be best to take on Labour. Fundamentally, who would be best to take on Labour at the next general election? Obviously, either of them will still be Conservative MPs and hopefully in the, in each other's governments after this uh, contest. So they'll be supporting each other to, to do that. It's just who we think is best placed, really. And with that sort of that, that broader ideas uh, that they're sort of bringing forwards. But yeah, but Alex, right, on 95 to you know 99% of things, they're very much in the same place. People do really understand it's not just a threat from Labour as well. I think the next general election, most people would say it's going to be very difficult for Labour to win an overall majority yeah. without uh, smashing into Scotland and making huge progress in suburban England. So it looks like Labour will have to definitely do a deal with the 
Lib Dems on some level, and possibly with the SNP in Scotland, probably not a formal deal, but maybe something confidence and supply. So this is going to be the Conservative Party basically fighting on three fronts, really, yeah. uh, fighting against Labour in the north of England and in the cities, fighting against the Lib Dems in the south of England and in the uh, suburbs, and against the SNP in Scotland. That, that's one of the reasons I'm... I'm backing Rishi. I've spoken to a lot of my Scottish colleagues. They think he's the best person to take on. We actually, we and we really need to to hold off the SNP in Scotland. I think in those other two areas, I think Rishi's best place. Now, Alec and I disagree on that, but that's a, but that's basically really probably a, most of what we disagree on yeah, in yeah. this contest, essentially. I appreciate that you're both united in your support for the Conservative Party. I would expect nothing less you both being serving Conservative MPs. But all of this blue on blue that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Are you concerned about how it feeds into the reputation of the party on a national level? You know, over the last six to 12 months, we've seen plenty of stories that have given us polling that show that the Conservatives are behind where they were previously on things like honesty or integrity. And people will quite often use the word sleaze. Are you both worried about the reputation of the party at the moment and how this leadership contest could play into it? Well, I have been worried and I'm glad that we've ripped the plaster off because we'd simply got to... I mean, I put a statement out on the 1st of June saying now wasn't the time for um, a leadership challenge. But by the time we got to the situation we got in, the reality of the situation was no minister was ever able to go on any airwaves and talk about policy. It was always about the latest situation, whatever that situation may be. That's why we had to come to where we are. So we are in a very, very difficult situation. But I am confident that the next prime minister will mend things because I think it is a fresh start and you will be able to say that you've got a competence to the government that hopefully put behind the constant scandals which are coming out of number 10 and I think you know we'd be churlish to say that none of this had an effect because of course it did any of us been on doorsteps have heard that and we've still got a long way to go so are at the moment the blue on blue attacks helping? Of course they're not. But we are in the middle of a leadership contest for two people who want the ultimate prize in politics. It's not going to be after you, George. It's going to be a bit handbags at dawn at times. We know that things got to a situation which became impossible. It's why so many people in the party refused to serve in the government and it came to a head. But this is where we now move forward. Now, I think, uh, you know, Alex, right, things have become impossibly difficult. And the Prime Minister acknowledged that himself when he said that this, I don't have the majority support of the parliamentary party anymore. And it was, I think it was, it became patently obvious that he just didn't. And it was very difficult over quite a, a long period of time. Now we're trying to look for the candidate best place to, to take on the challenges we face and then to take on Labour at the next election. Now, you know, I've made it clear that uh, I support Rishi. I've got, Liz has been, she's been in government for a very long time, you know, 10 years in government, eight years as a cabinet minister. Uh, I think Rishi comes at it with a slightly different perspective. Um, I think he... Do you not think some of the stuff over the past couple of years with the, the party gate, you know, he was fined alongside Johnson for some of the events. Do you think that's not tying him with a bit with Johnson's government, do you think? Anybody who's reasonably fair <laughs> across the political divide would say that turning up early for a meeting and then getting fined for it was a pretty tough uh, situation to find yourself in. I don't, I don't think anybody's suggesting that Rishi and uh, Boris's uh, outlooks are the same in terms of that sort of thing. They are very different personalities in, in that regard. Mm. Um, you know, Rishi's very much like, you know, down to every detail of of everything. That's one of the reasons I like him. I, you know, I met him when I was a, uh, when I was campaigning, actually bizarrely, for um, 
I properly met him when I was campaigning for Boris to be leader. And that was a different challenge we faced then. It was the parliament had hit stalemate in 2016. We just weren't going to get, uh, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018. We weren't getting through that delivering on the British people's Brexit deal. I think a lot of Conservative MPs and members like myself thought we have this is the biggest challenge we face because actually it's almost an existential challenge to UK democracy if we don't deliver Brexit and the will of the people. But the challenges we face now, uh, as we've been talking about, are quite different. They are come out of the international situation from COVID, the world slowly reopening, uh, putting pressure on supply chains and uh, price challenges. And, and then also uh, now we're facing with the war in Ukraine, a, a new threat which we haven't seen on European soil uh, since the end of the Cold War. In fact, probably since the end of the Second World War, really, in terms of stability. Most regimes in the world, if you look at the Chinese or others, although they are difficult and they will try and, you know, they're obviously expansionary in some ways, they're not they're not like the Russians seem yeah. to be at the moment. Well, uh, just this one of the we talked about the challenges facing whoever takes over. You know, just lastly, you know, one of the things in the intray will be the issue of a sort of summer of discontent. We've seen another week, another set of rail strikes. We saw Mick Lynch saying that you know, under Liz Truss, there could be a general strike. Uh, Alec, what would Liz Truss's policies be in terms of in terms of preventing further kind of industrial action, bringing the, the kind of nascent economy opening up to its knees? Well, I mean, I hear the threat of general strikes all the time from union leaders who once again think that they can override the democratically elected government. I will say this to you as somebody who for the first time in 12 years in Parliament rebelled against the government about agency workers. I thought that was the wrong thing to do. But I do agree with minimum service levels. I do agree with not having open-ended strikes and keep changing the terms and moving on. And I think it is patently ridiculous, and I think that most fair-minded people can see that the outdated work practices, especially around uh, network rail staff, for example, you know, either working in Euston or working in King's Cross, being in different regions, therefore they can't work in those areas. It is ridiculous. And this is militant unions trying to flex their muscles. And unfortunately, and I do say unfortunately, because I am a Conservative trade unionist, which is why I rebelled against the government, but unfortunately they invite in tougher rules because they are affecting the people who go out, work in the private sector, pay their taxes to go into these public sector areas. I mean, £16 billion of taxpayers' money into the rail industry, kept it afloat, kept them all in employment. And now we're in the situation we're in here because it just simply has to modernise. I think it invites it in, and Liz has been very clear, minimum service levels, better balloting and more defined strikes. That's not taking away the right to strike. And and it's not, in my opinion, reducing workers' rights. And as I say, I say that as somebody who rebelled against the removal of um, the ability to bring in agency work, I, you know, being able to bring in agency workers to break strikes. So I'm by no means um, head-banging cultural war in this stuff, but I think uh, most people recognise that what is now going is unreasonable. And I don't buy the idea of a general strike, never have done. I think they're living in what's almost 100 years ago now in some Marxist fantasy land that's completely out of date with the modern era. I, I tend to agree with Alec on that. And I think what you're actually seeing in a way is some of those internal divisions in the Labour Party spilling out as well. Mm. Um, you've got a massive divide now within Labour as Starmer sort of stumbles towards, I don't quite sure, I'm not, I'm not sure he quite knows what he really thinks about uh, you know as as Labour leader but he seems to be 
you know, trying to throw out all of those policies that he campaigned on for Jeremy Corbyn in 2019 and then stood on during the leadership campaign for Labour. And you're you're looking at it now and thinking, what on earth is going on? And then the left of the Labour Party, people like Sam Tarry, you know, going out there yesterday, getting sacked, backing the unions. I think this is much more about a, a war for the soul of the Labour Party, which sadly the general public are getting caught up in and the economy is getting caught up in. We've got to push modernisation. We've got to push increases in productivity because actually in the long term, the only way that you can increase wages in in, sens- in sensible terms is with modernisation and with productivity increases. That's what I want to see for everybody in the, the country, but it's got to be uh, via productivity. You cannot do it any other way. If you try, all you do is exacerbate what we're facing at the moment, which is already inflationary pressures from outside. And the last thing we want to do is bake them into our economy. Mm. We are now staring down the barrel of the first hostings in Leeds this evening. It's the first of, I believe, around 10 that we're going to have yeah, across, 10 or 12, the country. I think, across the country. Um, between now and the end of August, the postal ballot's going out next week. There's final head-to-head debate next week. Both of you, where do you hope and where do you see the contest going from here? Well, I think uh, it's it's great to see uh, you know, Leeds back in the Premiership. The events at Ellen Road tonight, they're seeing another Premier League clash between two titans, Truss and Sunak. <laughs> one's, a, uh, one's a Yorkshire MP, so I'm hoping in Ellen Road the, uh, the Yorkshire MP will come out on top tonight. From my perspective, great to be kicking off in God's own county. Sorry, Richard. The Conservative Party is committed to levelling up. And, you know, it's again something that none of us are going to disagree on. And, you know, moving Conservative campaign headquarters to Leeds is um, a huge statement. Starting off the um, hustings to members in Leeds in the north is um, once again showing that we really are a one nation party about levelling up the country. And it's not doing the old usual of starting at events down in London, etc. In fact, I think the London Hustings is one of the last ones. Right, well, as a Manchester United fan, it's far too much talk about Leeds United and, and Ellen Road. So I think that's probably a good place to end it. Thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, good luck to both your candidates as they go forward. Thanks all for listening. You can read all the latest on the Tory leadership race and the other big stories from Westminster at politicshome.com. And keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven day a week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right hand corner of the website. Thanks to my colleague Caitlin Doherty and to our guests Richard Holden and Alex Shelbrook. Our editor was Laura Silver. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week when we'll be starting a new series of podcasts throughout August, taking a deep dive into the history, quirks and peculiar practices of UK politics. The first episode of How Westminster Works, taking a look at the role of Hansard has played in Parliament, will appear in the feed next Thursday. I've been Alan Tolhurst, and this has been The Rundown.